In July of 1947, ranch hand William Brazel, working on the J.B. Foster Ranch, finds a peculiar crash site about 30 miles north of, you guessed it, Roswell, New Mexico. After a few days, possibly as much as a week passed before he had shared his story with a friend and local sheriff, Wilcox. He stated he and his son had stumbled across a large field with shiny metallic cloth, rubber pieces, and wooden sticks of debris. On July 8th, after the initial investigation, an early press relief stated, Flying disc has been discovered. The following day, the press release is quickly <laughs> retracted, and instead the story is of a crashed weather balloon. It's been part of a great debate that's went on for decades. May never have the true answers. This is sort of the granddaddy of all UFO recovery stories. Indeed. Roswell. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So I, I think there's a lot of controversy when it comes to Roswell. I know doing the research, we, we've talked about this before we started recording. On, online, you can't hardly find anything that refers to it as being a UFO crash anymore. Flying saucer, UFO, those terms have been removed. When I grew up, UFO, like Roswell was like the UFO case to talk about. Absolutely. You know, if you want to talk about, I mean, it ranked right up there. You know, when you talked about Roswell, you were talking about the UFO crash. Like they saw the bodies and they had the wreckage. And I mean, essentially, it's the story foundation that all alien stories come yeah. off of. And yet, when you look online now, I mean, literally, they call it the Roswell balloon incident. Yeah. And I'm, I grew up with, with Roswell. I've, I've read books about Roswell. Entire um, books about it, UFOs like, and like, flying yeah, saucers. 350 at pages worth of information about like all the, the debris and the government cover up. I, I, I love the Roswell story growing up. And then, you know, to look at it today and see what it's become. And again, so our, washed up has been. Our podcast is about telling <laughs> stories. We want to tell an interesting story. We're not claiming what we talk about is real or fake or whatever. We're we're telling stories here. And so for Roswell, I definitely wanted to go back and tell the story that I grew up with. The story we're familiar yeah, with. Yeah. Like I didn't want to now was it a weather balloon? Was it swamp gas? Was it light reflecting off Venus? I don't, I mean, and, and, and as I said before, I have to say on this particular podcast, once you start doing research, I am truly on both sides <laughs> of the fence. I didn't think that was even possible. Well, honestly, when you hear the description of what they found and, and what it supposedly looked like, I mean, yeah, you're, uh, clearly a weather balloon. Yeah. But then, man, there's that part of me that wants that to I've believe. heard the stories. And, and the further we get into this, there's even some little. You know, one of the, one of the places that figures into the mythology of Roswell, I've visited personally. So I, I mean, there's even that little piece of me that's like, I, I really hope that I was within a mile of these dead alien bodies. <laughs> so, so like like you started with July 1947. Hmm? On on 
On the night of July 2nd, 1947, several witnesses in and around Roswell observed what they called a disc-shaped craft moving northeasterly through the sky. Now, I believe his name is William, but William Mac Brazel, a uh, foreman working for the J.B. Foster Ranch. That, that night, there was a severe thunderstorm in the area. Um, and then this is out, you know, desert territory, so the storms can get pretty bad. Uh, but during the storm, he heard what he could only describe as an explosion. He said it didn't sound like the thunder that he was hearing in the storm, but this was like an explosion, something outside of the regular scope of, of, of the thunder. Some point around the seventh, give or take. Yeah, we don't have the exact date to be quite honest. Yeah, the dates are kind of the only dates we have for sure are like when things were reported in newspapers. Right. Sometime before the seventh, he went out to uh, you know uh, walk the ranch, check you know fences or or whatever it was he was doing that day. When he found a debris field, Uh, this would be roughly thirty miles north of Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, he and his sons, they saw this large area of wreckage. It appeared to this as if some sort of aircraft had exploded. And there were various sized chunks of metallic debris, uh, rubber strips, a tinfoil-like material, uh, a rather tough paper, and what he, what he called sticks, what he referred to as sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was him and his son went out there and found this. Uh, some people that saw the area even said it looked like there was a huge gouge like a like an an object had crashed an and slid for a little while. Um, now these metallic pieces, uh, uh, ju- just picking them up, they seemed unusually light for for metal of of that size. So they, they, I mean, already this was sort of unusual. It wasn't it wasn't in Max Wheelhouse. This was something he'd never seen before. He couldn't explain it. And uh, you did mention, obviously, these are the ones that found it, but there were 600, over 600 witnesses that came forth that night saying they saw something. Yeah, lots of people claimed to have seen something. Lots of people uh, supposedly had seen the debris field even. Uh, there, there's tons and tons of witnesses, now, tons of people involved in this story. I, I'm going to argue my first fact. I'm going to be on one <laughs> side of the fence here. Okay, 600 people. You see something up in the air, and, and they're saying it's a weather balloon. Do you think 600 people are actually going to see something so unusual that it can be defined as a weather balloon? Well, and when you can, when you figure that they're not far from an Air Force, but, well, I guess it was Army Air Force at the time. Army Air Force, yep. So there are people that are obviously professionals in their field that should be able to identify. Yeah, I, I would think you would be able to, let, let's just cut it in half, 300 at least would be able to identify it. So after initially discovering this debris field, later his son, his wife, and his daughter, they return. Uh, they gather up some of the material. Uh, his son stated that, that some of it had strange markings on it. Now, he compared it to, uh, he compared it to like, Egyptian hieroglyphs. It was markings he couldn't understand, kind of a picturesque um, language, I guess. The foil-like material that they found also seemed to be completely immune to any damage. You could crumple it up, and it would return immediately to its like shape. Like a memory foam kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you could twist it. I think somebody said they took a piece, rolled it up, and laid it on a table, and it just rolled itself flat immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody tried to hit it, I think, with a hammer or yeah, something. Yeah, later and- experiments, they took a blowtorch to it, and within moments, you could grab it by hand. It no dissipated damage. heat. No, not a scratch. So this stuff, I mean, already it exhibits some unusual properties. So it, it, and, and we're building weather balloons out of this? Yeah. Yeah. So on July 7th, Brazel sees Sheriff Wilcox in town. Uh, they, quote, unquote, they whispered kind of confidential-like and uh, said he may have seen a flying disc. Now, 
when you look at your timeline of UFO knowledge and all that. That's a relatively new term. Flying saucer had only just come into vogue like that year or the yeah. year before. Yes. I think the first sighting was Mount Rainier in Washington. They they had taken a picture of what they called a flying saucer. Because it looked like a plate saucer that yeah. was flying. So So flying saucer had become like kind of a catchphrase there. So Wilcox... The, the sheriff, he contacts the Roswell Army Airfield, R-A-A-F, and he gets a hold of, uh, I think eventually he gets in contact with Major Jesse Marcel, who's a big figure of this mm-hmm. story. Marcel brings out Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan Cabot and Master Sergeant Bill Rickett to the ranch and has uh, Brazel show them uh, where the, the debris field is. They spend a couple hours out there looking for more parts, and then apparently at some point, pretty quick-like, the Air Force goes out, they scour the site, and they pick up every piece of debris, no matter how big, no matter how small, they, they got to collect it all. They clear the lot. Now, Brazel's son did recover a couple pieces they had missed, but allegedly when the military found out that he had done this, they immediately went to him and said, okay, you've got to turn those over to us. And so the military didn't want any piece of this anywhere out there. Now, let me, let me jump in here. The story, and it depends on which rabbit hole you want to go down. Yeah. Um, I grew up thinking that Roswell also had, we'll call them aliens. Gray, they, they do figure beans. into the story eventually. But he does not, this rancher helper, he, yeah. he hasn't made any mention of anything except for some weird tinfoil looking stuff, some sticks and rubber mm-hmm. Looking into this and, story a little bit more, the debris field actually covered a much larger area than what Brazel himself had originally found. He found part of it. Now, like I said, if you look this up online, you don't really get what I want to say is the full story we're trying to tell. Weather balloon, weather balloon. The story that I am familiar with is that the alien craft was struck by lightning. And so there was a certain amount of damage done at that point. Mm -hmm. They lost control of their vehicle. Brought it down out of the sky. They they hit the ground and they hit the ground multiple times, like like almost like skipping a rock. Mm Mm-hmm. So Brazel found one part of debris of this ship, but there were other places where the debris had supposedly been located. And and yeah, like later on, I was going to talk about that a little bit, but yes, they supposedly did recover like multiple bodies. But there's no mention so far, obviously. So these poor aliens are out here in another part of the yeah. wreck that's just but, sitting out but here. But even the local coroner, I guess, was interviewed at one point in time or maybe, no, it would be the funeral home operator. But he supposedly was responsible for manufacturing a certain number of child, what he called child-sized coffins. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, there, there was something. There's somebody claims that there were bodies out there. Didn't mean to get off tarp, but there, but it was just kind of a strange fact. Yeah. Well, on July eighth, um, Roswell Army Airfield Public Officer Walter Hout, who again he's a, he's a big part of this story, he issues a press release. And he stated that personnel from the 509th Operations Group had recovered a flying disc, uh, which had crashed near Roswell. And, of course, this was immediately picked up by numerous news outlets around the world. Absolutely. Uh, Later in that same day, the Army Airfield holds a press conference. And the story now changes. Um, And the material presented is, is when they do the press conference is obviously that of a weather balloon. And they say that the recovered debris is now a weather balloon. There was a telex sent to an FBI office in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, and quoted a major from the 8th Air Force based in uh, Fort Worth that stated the disc was supposedly hexagonal in shape and suspended from a balloon by a cable 
The balloon was approximately 20 feet in diameter and said that the object clearly is a high-altitude weather balloon. Now, that kind of goes into the stories of what's called Project Mogul that was headed by Dr. Maurice Ewing, and that's where the weather balloon topic kind of starts coming in. Um, Project Mogul at that time was classified. Classified, absolutely. And this was due to basically Russians and the fear of Russians getting into nuclear and us not knowing about it. We yeah. didn't have spy satellites back then. You got to you got to consider the time frame. And our airplanes were being spotted too easily, so we couldn't swoop down yeah. with trip, you know, traditional cameras and try to take pictures. In in 1994, the US Air Force released their report which gave into the weather balloon story. They said it was false. It was false. Uh they there was the wreckage was part of a spy device that was created for Project Mogul. Mhm. Uh, and what Project Mogul, what that device was, it was a high-altitude balloon with, with microphones attached to it. A typical Mogul balloon uh, was, was at high altitude. It stretched 657 feet. That's huge. From tip to tail. That's 102 feet taller than the Washington Monument. Uh, the balloons rode the upper jet stream, and they would flow over towards Russia. The long tail behind it had different types of sensing and listening devices, Basically, they were designed to float over the USSR, detect sound waves at a distance, detect atomic bomb testing. Mm-hmm. You got to, uh, you know, at this point in time, we're we're post World War II, and we're moving into Cold War, Cold War time, and we want to make sure them Ruskies aren't, you know, absolutely. They if they got atomic weapons, we we got to be ready for that. Um, now it was a covert project at the time, very very top secret. So you can understand why they couldn't just come forward and say this. Yeah, but on the other hand. When they did come forward, I think you said in 1994. 1994, I don't know. There's kind of this, hey guys, we we lied, <laughs> we lied. You know, we're trying well, to do a little cover up, but here's why: it, it technically wasn't false for us to say it was a weather balloon. Well, again, it's just not a traditional weather. That balloon. first press release does say flying disc. Yeah. So, at what were they willing to lie to say it was a UFO and then be like, oh well, no, I guess it looks like a weather balloon, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what exactly are you arguing here? So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of crazy. The story kind of bounces around. Well, and this Mac uh, Brazel, yeah. um, something I kind of come across, and I'd never read this part before, so um, they said within months of this occurring, of course, now this is a gentleman that used the word yeah. flying disc. Um, he went to a radio station, and supposedly yeah. they recorded, I mean, this was within days, so everything should have been fresh on his mind. The radio station starts getting phone calls from the military and different ones saying, do not air this. Do not yeah, air no, this. The, the government gets involved so really early. Not only did it not get aired, it's lost to our knowledge. Well, we, we don't know where. Supposedly in the time frame just after this, Mac ended up uh, being taken in by the Air Force and he, held, unable to communicate with his family. Yes. And he recounted the terms yeah. that he used. But it was made very clear to him, uh, in his own words, through threats, that he was... It was understood that he would never discuss what he saw. And the part that I thought was interesting, I'd never come across before, within a month after it, he purchased a brand new pickup truck, left the ranch, went to another state to start a business. Now, where'd that money come from? Yeah, I mean, Mac was... He was just a farmhand. There's there's no evidence that he had money tucked away. So, yeah. So, (laughs) um, So the debris and any recovered remains were eventually moved, uh, I think they went from Fort, they, they went from Roswell, they flew them to Fort Worth, and then eventually to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. 
Now, when I talked about kind of a personal touch, I've been to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I want to say right now, I don't want to advertise anything. We talked about that. They're not a sponsor by any means. <laughs> they have a fantastic uh, Air Force History Museum that I've been to multiple times. My grandma took us there when we were growing up. Just fantastic. But this is part of like local legend even for them in Ohio. My grandma, who is, I did not know to be a UFO person in general, told me that Hangar 18 on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base houses UFO remains and alien bodies. And, I, I mean, I don't remember her to be a UFO person, so right. like this is just part of their lore. Yeah, that now, Hangar 18 figures into that. Back on the Project Mogul, um, there were some stipulations in there that some people will argue, I think it's worth bringing up, that those weather balloons didn't come out until about a year after Roswell. But again, I mean, we're talking about, you know, are they going to cop to are those they, or not? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that could easily be a race. But there is a lot of, if, if people want to get in there and do that research, that's a lot of the people will come forward, the yeah. conspiracy theories. And it's like, it wasn't that weather balloon. That wasn't developed for another year. That's probably how they developed it was the stuff they yeah. took off of this crash. <laughs> so, uh, so talking about Wright Patterson again, uh, Oliver Henderson once told his wife that he flew a plane loaded with debris and several small alien bodies from Roswell to Wright Field. And according to some, though the bodies were actually in fairly good condition, though they had lain in the desert for up to six days. They, and they, they say they were discovered on July 8th. Uh, World War II ace Marion Black Mac Magruder told his children that he had seen a living alien at, at Wright Field in 1947 and told them, quote, it was a shameful thing that the military destroyed this creature by conducting tests on it. Uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base employee Norma Gardner, who's long since retired, she claimed right before her death, using the excuse, uh, because Uncle Sam can't do anything to me once I'm in the grave, <laughs> that she had cataloged UFO parts while working at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, uh, including parts from the interior of some sort of machine that she had no understanding of. She had also typed up the autopsy reports on the bodies of the occupants of the Roswell craft. Hmm. And she saw two of the bodies as they were being moved to a different location. I've got a couple to add in there to yours. Uh, There was a Ben Games. Now, he was a personal pilot that went on record after he heard the story starting to get downplayed, the event getting downplayed. Um, He stated that he had been hired to bring in a Major General Lawrence Craigie, I believe, directly to the crash site. And within just a few hours... He was asked to return this chief engineering uh, to a site uh, at Washington, D.C. Within hours of flying in there, seeing the crash site, now takes him to Washington, D.C. to meet President Truman. Major General Lawrence Craigie, who Mr. Ben Games had taken on that flight, uh, had got promoted and he became uh, a member of Project Sign, which was the first official Air Force investigation team later on in history. Possibly now he's a believer of whatever he saw in those few hours when he reported to Truman. That eventually becomes Project Blue Book, which I think more people are familiar with. Yes, yes, Project Blue Book. Um, Sergeant Ennis, I believe you mentioned him. Uh, He worked in the Area 51 area for, he was a longtime employee. Um, He denied the crash for many years and stated it was just a weather balloon. I don't know why these people are blowing it so far out of proportion. In 2011, he came forward to state it was, in fact, a ship, a vessel. And he says, before I go, meaning before he passes away, I have to know who that space, or how that spaceship was even able to fly. It did not have any wings, which lends it to a flying disc saucer. Um, 
And he said the metal was weightless, smooth, and thin. He said it couldn't be scratched, cut, or smashed. He goes, I know. I tried. Well, there's a lot of deathbed confessions that figure into the Roswell story. Uh, Just going back to Hangar 18 for a little bit. uh, Senator Barry Goldwater was fascinated with Hangar 18 and the stories that abounded. Um, was supposedly friends with one of the generals that, that was responsible for it, and he tried to gain access. Uh, he was furious when he was denied access by the equally furious General Curtis LeMay, who refused him access. He was told he could not get in and that he should never ask about it again. Um, when, when he did ask about the rumors that day, LeMay responded with, holy hell, and warned him never to bring up the subject again. Just drop it. So... You know, th- this would have been prior to the release of the, the Project Mogul story, I believe. So maybe they were still trying to keep that under wraps. But Well, on the alien figures, uh, the government came out with one story and said, uh, we were dropping rubber dummies. 1997 report. Yes. Uh, fallen parachute test dummies. Yes, over the New Mexico area. Just happened to be at the same time they crashed a weather balloon. You know. Um, and they, and they're like, well, people saw these, especially if they were affected by the elements or possibly heat or fire could distort them and they could resemble these alien like figures that everybody yeah. swears they've saw and got pictures of. Uh, the problem is, like you said, this didn't occur until the 1950s. Roswell crash was in 1947 prior. And again, a, a test dummy is going to be six foot. These alien yeah, you, creatures are like 3.5 to 4 feet. Well, like I said, you know, the, supposedly the funeral home director made child-sized child coffins. Child-sized coffin boxes. Now, I wasn't you, told why. Did you come across anything that a big portion of the files on Roswell, uh, in particular January 1947 to October 47, had all been destroyed accidentally in a fire? Accidentally? Accidentally <laughs> by fire for well, January to October things like 1947. That it's pretty precise, actually. January to October. Well, if we were X-Files kind of guys here. Yeah, right? Um, so, in 1985, the Air Force stated, and I'm going to read a direct quote here, periodically, it is erroneously stated that the remains of extraterrestrial visitors are or have been stored at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. There are not now, nor have there ever been, any extraterrestrial visitors or equipment on Wright-Patterson Air Force ever. Base. Ever. Now, people, listen up. Never, ever, ever. Now, uh, there are some other stories that have been used to explain Roswell. There's there's one conspiracy that, that's kind of popped up here recently that kind of, I think it got some momentum in the last five years or so. But an unnamed source kind of states that, that what happened at Roswell was a little more sinister than a weather balloon or a project mogul. Uh, he says it was not aliens, not U.S. spies. But it was instead a, a Russian plan to instill panic in the United States, uh, kind of orchestrated by Joseph Stalin. Which again, we're in Cold War, you know, we're, we're the great enemy to the, the Russians at that point. Uh, but some experiments conducted by Joseph Mengele of, you know, Nazi fame. Yes. Apparently, adolescent children were intentionally deformed by the Soviets to resemble aliens. Uh, then they deployed them in an aircraft that they flew over New Mexico and they allowed to crash during a storm so that, that Americans would, would find these these visitors. The plan, of course, was for that ship to crash like land, crash land safely so that these, these kids could come out and we would immediately be, oh, aliens. Aliens, yeah. Uh, the idea, of course, would be for panic to ensue and then 
uh, you know, for America's early warning radar systems, you know, if we detected something, we would assume it was UFOs, which, you know, why would the Russians want us to think our early warning system is detecting UFOs? I mean, you know, potential for, you know, nuclear strike. Yeah, absolutely. But the idea was apparently that the, the Russians would fly these bodies over, crash the ship, and then we would find these quote-unquote aliens. That's a stretch, but it's a very interesting story. Well, again, like we said, the UFO phenomenon was sort of just taken off at that point in time. Right. We were we were just now starting to see flying saucers. I mean, we talk about today, what if we found out there were aliens out there? I Mass mean, hysteria and panic. Yeah, things would be even different. I think, you know, as, I think as we progress as a society, we're probably more and more ready to accept. But yeah. man, back in the 40s, we would have lost our collective minds. Well, this whole high-tech weather balloon, like you said, when you go online today, it's like all the stories have been kind of whitewashed and filtered down. But here's my argument on the whole mogul weather balloon. You know, Major Jesse Marcel. He was a specialist in metals and composition. He was directly involved with this reverse engineering thing of military projects. Uh, he stated he knew every metal, mineral, and composition on Earth, as that was part of his job. That makes sense. That's the guy you want on your department, yeah, I mean, you know, reverse engineering stuff. If you're going to investigate strange alien metal. The official report released stated Roswell was not an alien UFO crash site, but rather the debris and nothing more than some aluminum foil, rubber strips, and wooden sticks. Now, Major Jesse Marcel was recorded saying this was true. He's backing up that story that it is not a UFO. It's it's just this. Come on. You're saying the best you got to build this high-tech weather balloon is some aluminum foil, some plastic strips, oh, and wooden sticks? There was one where I heard it was literally being held together with some scotch tape and uh, flower pattern uh, duct tape. If almost. you're leading us to believe this is a high-tech weather balloon, then... By yeah. golly, it ought to look like you're, a high-tech You're going to piece it balloon. together with tape and string. Yeah, I mean, that just, I don't know. That does not make sense to me. Now, another story that's come out that I kind of went down and did some research on it at the same time, and again, it wasn't public knowledge, the elusive U-2 high-altitude plane for the same reason as the Mogul uh, weather balloons. Um, now, this thing flew higher than 60,000 feet. This was due... Uh, this was needed to gather intelligence like we were already talking, especially over Russia at the time, and was given a project name of Aquatone. It was requested by President Dwight Eisenhower. Now, military planes at that time flew at about 40,000 square or 40,000 feet up. This one, 60,000, so 20,000 square feet up above the normal military planes. Commercial flights, kind of put it in perspective, are about 10 to 15,000 feet. Um, the U-2, this high-altitude plane, was a shiny aluminum plane and I think would certainly reflect sunlight, uh, especially at that altitude and possibly at that distance. It would shape, change, if you will, looking at it with the glare and reflection of the sun, um, making it look more of like a blur, possibly a wingless ship. Well, it did have the interesting nickname of the Dragon Lady. The Dragon Lady, yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, just the other side of me arguing, you know, here military people and stuff are talking about that they have had spottings in that time frame. It's 20,000 feet higher than what military is flying. So if you're seeing this from Earth, I mean, it's a speck. But Eric, this, this plane didn't exist till 1957. Oh, there is that part, though. <laughs> There's always a glitch in, in these issues. And again, are we going to trust the government to 
I mean, come on. And then, of course, after the U-2, the stealth bomber, all of these. And they were tested quite openly down around that well, area, 51 the in the SR, New Mexico desert. You know, you have the SR-71 that could fly higher and faster than any other plane. And, you know, you have, like you said, the stealth bomber, the stealth fighter, these wedge-shaped craft. There's a lot of excuses you can spitball and try to get to stick to the wall, but... Yeah, you say whatever you want to say. Then the wall just kind of disappears. <laughs> um you know, like I said, this this story though, when you look it up now, literally everything you look up says the the Roswell balloon incident. I'm maybe tired of hearing balloons. Maybe that's what maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just this Project Mogul balloon or whatever. Um, that doesn't explain why Max Kidd didn't recognize the writing on the pieces. Right now. I'd be more willing to believe the Russian story using that. Maybe it was Russian Cyrillic alphabet and he just didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, as Americans, we don't really take the time to learn other people's languages and writing, so it would look weird to him, you know? Well, um, well, definitely the later picture, which is, you know, very famous of them there in the office and they've got the pieces and that's very clearly, clearly a, a weather, weather balloon. balloon. But again, that's the second, like they, they made the announcement they'd recovered a flying disc. It's version 2.0. Later that least. same day, they're like, oh no, it was a weather balloon. Like, how do you misidentify, especially if you're one of the guys in charge of the project, you know what I mean? Like you should be familiar you with it. your work. Now, Mogul being a top secret project, maybe not everybody was in on the, the deal, but if it's still based on existing weather balloon technology, yeah, you know, people in the Army Air Force should recognize that. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, just this this story that people all over the world. I mean, there, like you said, there's hundreds of people that that claim to have seen six hundred over six hundred witnesses. There's at least five books written on the topic. Every one of those books seems to lean towards the idea that it was not a weather balloon. And of course, I understand sensationalism. You know, you gotta. Nobody wants to read a book about a crashed weather balloon. I, I didn't want to. I want to read a book about a crashed UFO. <laughs> but again, you got to consider, like you said, the time frame. You know, over 600 people saw this. Phrases like the the flying saucer and UFO, those were all like that year, literally yeah. so new. Would people really know to try to, for lack of a better term, you know, blow this out of proportion and try to make something out of it that it wasn't? I mean, it's it's not today's society. The the thing that, that sticks with me, the thing that gets me the most is that first announcement by the military. We've recovered a flying disc. Even if they didn't know what it was. Even if, I mean, do you, you don't immediately jump to UFO, you know what I mean? Right, right. Now, I, I guess, okay, had they said UFO, UFO by definition is an unidentified flying object. Mm-hmm. Anything you see in the sky that you can't Doesn't mean that identify. it's from another space yeah. or another world. Uh, but they said flying disc. Yeah. So they immediately jump straight to the alien spacecraft, basically. Yeah. And then backpedal. Why? I mean, that's the military. Why say flying disc? And then I could get it like, hey, we recovered a flying disc. And then, oh, my God, did we just say that? No, 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 no. Let's Let's come up with something else. Yeah. And then so. years later come out, well, you know, we fooled you once, uh, but now it's it's just this weather balloon that we couldn't talk about. So, obviously, the world we live in today, a little bit crazy, a little bit nutty. Wee bit. Um, the fantastically timed first annual Roswell Alien <laughs> Fest is going to happen in 2021. Absolutely. Uh, will be held in downtown Roswell and kind of a, an effort to help support local merchants and the economy while celebrating 
the mystery around the 1947 UFO crash, go to their website. You will see the disclaimer at the bottom. All events are dependent on the state of New Mexico mandates for COVID-19. So might as well get ahead of it. If just you're going to do the there. first ever UFO, why, why not just try to do it in the middle of a pandemic? In, in closing, that's just proof that, I mean, this story will not die. Yeah. I mean, 2021, we've got plans here for, you know, an event. People that are out around that area to this day still say that they see unidentified flying objects. One of the things um, that I think can be very quickly explained is they're like, look at the number of uh, airplanes that come in and out of this. It is a well-known fact that there's actually a contract commuter airplane in Vegas that takes all the people that work out there from Vegas, flies them out there to work every day, that's carpooling to a whole new degree, (laughs) and brings them back. And the plane is actually parked right there in Vegas. You can see, um, you know, to some conspiracy theories, they're like, well, see, they're still, they're flying them aliens in and out of there every day, you know, two or three times a day. There, There are often very reasonable explanations for what is saw. But I, my vote on this is, one, it's, it's so far back. And obviously, whatever occurred, it made a big impact. And it was already changing within hours of the first report. Um, it, this thing has so many stinky layers of an onion, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't know if we'll ever know everything. The government has tried to come out several times. Look, we've had enough. Yeah. Here's here's what really happened. You know, just take it. Shut up you, already. You, you can find the official Roswell report online for download, page after page after page after page, just to, just to say it's a weather balloon. Now, I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate. You know, somewhere there's this men in black guy, and he's like, <laughs> these people won't give up. The truth's going to come out. And then there's this other office that's like, these crazy lunatics. It was a freaking weather balloon. Why won't they just drop it? You know? <laughs> And like I said, I mean, you look it up online and it immediately, you, you don't find UFO, you know, the Roswell UFO incident, you find the Roswell balloon incident. So, Well, I hope they have balloons at the Roswell event in 2021. <laughs> that, that would only be appropriate. Well, folks, we do hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. We very much appreciate your continued support and feel free to share our episodes and tell as many people as you can about us. Uh, we're not getting paid for this. This is just something we do for just the love and the fun and the camaraderie. So we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, Swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. uh, um, He's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. 
want to thank everybody involved with that.